So, uh, let's continue with our teaching series this morning. Oh, this term. If you're new here, uh, we love to open the Bible every week to learn from it. That's the basic headline. Sometimes we, we look at themes through the Bible. Other times we look at books of the Bible. And it's the latter that we're doing at the moment. We're in a, a series in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're new to the Bible at all, uh, the basic headlines are this. We're in 1000 BC. David is the central protagonist of the story of 1 Samuel. And David, we've learned so far, has been plucked from obscurity, uh, aged around 17 as a shepherd boy. And he finds himself chosen by by God as the future king of Israel. And we've seen him, haven't we? If you've been here for a few weeks, we've seen him develop remarkably into an increasingly faithful, humble, brave, courageous, skillful, successful young man who is willing to keep on serving the current king of Israel, who is Saul. And sadly, Saul is the, having the opposite trajectory. He is tragically disintegrating, really, as a character more and more. He is eaten up with insecurity and envy, particularly at David, who he suspects might be to take his throne one day. So much so that Saul is increasingly trying to kill David. And so we are in 1 Samuel 19. That's where the story has got up to. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, 24 verses, but it is epic stuff. It's kind of like... Jason Bourne type stuff as David becomes a fugitive on the run and the state is effectively trying to kill him. So, Jason Bourne, 1000 BC, something like that. Here we go, 1 Samuel 19. Ready? And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out, stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Don't put your hands in your pockets. But that did add to the drama, did it not, <laughs> of the situation. So, Michael let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at his head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. 
Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at his head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he had escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Now, David fled and escaped. And he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again, and the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped of his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Hmm. Finishes in interesting circumstances. We will get to that in a few minutes. But before we do, question for you. How do you react when other people around you are threatened or are in danger or are in trouble? How do you react when people around you are threatened or in danger or in trouble? You see, David is under great threat, is he not? He is fleeing for his life, and he greatly benefits from people around him who respond remarkably well. Did you notice? He is benefited by a friend who serves him, by a spouse who protects him, by a mentor who comforts him, and more loosely, by people through whom God speaks. And I want to invite you this morning to consider which pair of shoes, as it were, might God be inviting you to step into this morning? In other words, which of these type of people is God going to empower you to be this week? And I want to encourage you that God speaks through his word, through the Bible. He's got something to say to every single one of you this morning about what he's called you to, about your uh, promise this week. You see, we've got a God who loves to partner with us, with you. Not the special ones. He loves to partner with all of us in order to establish his kingdom of grace and mercy and compassion and justice in this world. And so we've called this series Sketches in 1 Samuel for a reason. Because we've said that the more we look closely at the story, it's a bit like looking at a sketch or a work of art and looking behind it closely to see figures almost behind the sketch. And so as we look closely at each part of the scene, we see something of God coming through. We see the person of Jesus actually in, in the background almost. And we see something of us and the kind of people, the kind of flourishing people that God is calling you to be. So the invitation to you this morning is potentially to step into the shoes of being a friend who serves, a spouse who protects, a mentor who comforts, or someone through whom God will speak. And I wonder which one of those God's gonna invite you in, or which more than one of those God's gonna invite you to step into this morning. What do you think of when I read the following names to you? Frodo and Sam, Thelma and Louise, 
Joey and Chandler, Shrek and Donkey, Holmes and Watson, Lizzie Bennett and Charlotte, Harry, Hermione and Ron, Woody and Buzz, the list goes on. We're talking about famous friends, aren't we? Pairs of friends, trios of friends. And the significance of friendship to the human condition is is enormous. You could do a whole teaching series on that alone. And I'm going to go into very little detail about this at the moment. Not least because Paul, who's the other pastor here, is going to speak into this much more in three weeks' time when he looks at day, uh, chapter 20. As an aside, I say three weeks' time, we're going to take a two-week break from this series. We're going to spend two weeks looking at something different. We're going to look at the nature of God's heart and character, particularly towards those who are in poverty, in need, and oppression. We're going to have two brilliant guest speakers for the next two weeks from International Justice Mission and from Julie Plus, who are really going to help us understand something of the heart of God, particularly for those who are in poverty and in oppression. So it's going to be two brilliant weeks, and after that, we'll come back into this series just to set you up. But let me just point out one thing that I think we see from those friendships that I listed to you. I don't know which pair or trio particularly resonated with you. One thing I notice about the profundity of real deep friendship is this. True friendship really wants the other person's good. Do you notice that? I think something in our hearts rise when Samwise Ganji says to Frodo, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Ganji, and I don't mean to. And the friendship between Jonathan and David is marked by something similar, by wanting the other's good, especially from Jonathan towards David in this instance. And listen, Jonathan has every reason to reject David let alone be kind of neutral about him. Jonathan, at the moment, stands to inherit the throne, were it not for David's anointing. And instead, at risk to his own safety, given his father's violence and unpredictability, and his own future, Jonathan warns David. Did you see him? He mediates on David's behalf. He points out his gifts, his strengths, his achievements. He proves his innocence. Jonathan's friendship with David is defined not by what he can get out of it, by what he can serve, how he can serve, by what he can do for David. He serves his friend. So, are these the pair of shoes that God might be calling you to step into this week, to be a friend who serves for the other's good? Is there a friend in your life who would benefit from that kind of friendship? Something of Jonathan's service, blessing, defense, encouragement of. But, Don't just run off thinking, I must be more like Jonathan. I want us to notice what I've been saying each week, that Jonathan and other characters in in this story are pointing towards someone else. Jesus is always in the background of this story, in this instance, behind Jonathan. That's who Jonathan's ultimately pointing us towards to. Because Jesus Christ, the night before his death, when I'd be thinking about anything other than serving my friends, Jesus ate a meal with his disciples, and as many of you know, in a remarkable act of friendship, he he washes his friend's feet, which at the time had even more profound service than we would understand today. And in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says this, and he's saying this to, to all of us, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay, one's life for one's, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, Jesus doesn't mean, he doesn't mean you're my friend on the condition that you love people. That's not what he means. What he does mean is, when you believe in me, when you receive my loving service of you through my death and resurrection, when you, as it were, encounter ultimate friendship in me, then you can and indeed you will reflect that kind of serving friendship to others. That's what he's getting at. And for us, when we receive afresh, or indeed for the first time, that wonderful gospel, the friendship of God in Jesus, then... When you receive that, then you can step out and start to be a friend like Jesus. Start to be a friend who serves like Jonathan. Number two, the shoes you might be invited to being stepped into, the spouse who protects. Um, That great modern philosopher, Homer Simpson, he uh, had an interesting take on being a spouse who protects. Uh, There's a scene in The Simpsons when uh, confronted by very, very threatening-looking aliens. Uh, Homer Simpson cries out to the aliens, Don't eat me! I have a wife and kids! Eat them! And uh, fortunately for David, Michael, his wife, has a slightly different take on uh, protecting her spouse to Homer. Because Saul having tried to kill David with a, uh, with a spear, is now hunting David in his, in his home. Uh, we're in verse kind of 11 by now in the passage, if you're following. And Michael, pretty ingeniously, you might have noticed, arranges his escape. And I want to ask you a question. If you're married, or indeed if you'd like to be married, this is a good thing to bear in mind. If you're married, what does it mean this week to be a spouse who protects What does it mean to be a spouse who stands up for the other? A spouse who's prepared to sacrifice your own preferences for the good of the other. So it's not about us being invited or even inspired to try and be the perfect spouse. Notice, I'm not going to get into this, but Michael was very far from being a perfect spouse. You might have spotted it in that chapter. You might know about the rest of the story. So it's not about being the perfect spouse because there aren't any of those, which I hope is good news. Every spouse is flawed, and if you want to be married, you need to know that whoever you do marry, you will marry a flawed spouse. And furthermore, the longer you are married to them, the more their flaws will become evident. I have a wife whom you can ask, and she will, I'm sure, testify to that. So let's not just try and be the perfect spouse. Let's look to the only perfect spouse. Jesus Christ, again, in the background of this sketch, he's the only perfect spouse. One of the ways the Bible describes him, specifically as the perfect bridegroom. And Jesus didn't just protect his spouse. He, he died for it. He is utterly faithful. He is committed to your good. He's a spouse who is ever present. He's the only spouse that will never let you down. The only one who will never at any point hurt you. Jesus said that even the very forces of evil will not stop him building his church. In other words, loving his spouse, loving his bride. And so again, when you explore for the first time or for a fresh time this amazing gospel, when in this instance you receive the only perfect spousal love there is, which is Jesus's. When you receive that, then by his spirit you're empowered to be a spouse in his image, building marriage that is a picture of the gospel, which is its ultimate purpose. So 
this morning? Are those a pair of shoes that God is drawing you to step into, to be a spouse who protects, not just by trying really hard, but by drawing on the only perfect spousal love there is? Because if you are married, or you want to be married, and if you're expecting your spouse to be perfect, if you're putting your ultimate faith in their love, at some point they will only let you down. And yet, if you draw on the only perfect spousal love there is, which is Jesus Christ, then you have the perfect spousal love that your heart yearns for, and then you're freed up to sacrificially serve your spouse whilst painting a beautiful picture of the gospel at the same time. Number three, the next pair of shoes might be a mentor who comforts. We're into verse 18 now. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. It's interesting to notice, isn't it, that when David becomes a fugitive, when the full Jason Bourne bit kicks off, he runs to someone. He goes to Samuel. Samuel's the first person that he flees to. And Samuel is the person who anointed him as king. He's the person who spoke God's favor and blessing over him. He's the person who commissioned him to begin the journey of preparing for kingship. David finds comfort, you could say, in a mentor, in a godly person. In this instance, a godly older man. I want you to notice something that really struck me this week when I was exploring this for myself. We're not told that Samuel says anything particularly. You notice? What we do know is that he presumably listens to David, because David does the talking, and we know that Samuel gives him a home, gives him a place to stay, gives him a seat at his table. See, sometimes that's all that someone needs. They don't necessarily need profound wisdom. Sometimes the power of listening to someone and giving them a place in your home can be all that someone on the run in life needs. You might exclude yourself from being a mentor. A mentor has profound wisdom that I don't have. Yeah, Samuel had extraordinary wisdom. But in this instance, Samuel listens and gives him a place at his table. I can um, remember my, my first year as a teacher. I think I was 23. And um, I had a big, big run-in with another teacher, quite a senior teacher. Their child was in my class, and there'd been a bit of an incident. And any te- if you know schools, teachers that have their own children in the same school, it's always a slight recipe for disaster. And sure enough, we had a little bit of a run-in, to put it mildly. In fact, this teacher was furious, absolutely lost it. I remember, in fact, they came into my classroom. They were so, so angry, shouting, completely lost their temper. In hindsight, I think I, I probably had acted fairly, I think, in the situation, but with a good dose of youthful naivety as well, just to mix it up. And I was pretty shocked. I remember kind of in, I wouldn't say in shock, but was shocked by what had happened. I was totally taken aback, mortified that we had this enormous, enormous argument. So I went to see Julie, and Julie was the headmistress of the school at the time. She lived, uh, lived on site, or she had a house on site with her husband. And what she did was really simple, but actually quite profound. She did exactly what Samuel did. She listened, and she gave me a place at her table in her home. And that is my enduring memory. The profundity of being listened to and being given a place at the table was significant. And that's what actually what I remember the most Beyond even the wisdom that she did give and the solution that she did mediate, what I remember the most is the profound experience of being listened to when you feel like you're on the run and given a place in someone's home. 
So are those the shoes that God might be inviting you to step into this week? Don't exclude yourself from being a mentor to someone on age or experience or wisdom. Sometimes it's just about a listening ear and a seat at your table. And again, you can just try really hard and do that, in which there'll be some value. Or we can remind ourselves of the gospel afresh, which is the power for us being able to do these things. Remind yourself, in this particular instance, of another way of describing the gospel story. You could describe the story of the Bible culminating in the gospel like this, of a God who essentially, at the beginning of all things, God sets his heart, doesn't he, on gathering a people to his family. A people who are essentially on the run from him, you could say, in different ways. It's the story of a God whose own son, Jesus, made that possible. Not just for us to be forgiven, profound, and necessary, though that is. But for us to have a seat at the family table. For us to be sons and daughters of God in our own right. That story tells us that in Jesus we know that we are known and loved and listened to by the Father in the very home of the Father at, if you like, the very table of the Father. The Apostle John gets to the heart of it in 1 John 5.13. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's speaking to Christians or to those who would become Christians. He's saying, this is what I want to remind you of. Because, or so that you may know you have eternal life. Which he doesn't mean is a future thing in the clouds in heaven. He means abundant life, heaven on earth now. That's what he's saying. This Christians and those who will become Christians is the confidence you have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us so Christians can join in with the psalmist in chapter 66 and say God has surely listened and heard my prayer See, when you receive the gospel afresh, a gospel that tells you that because of the accomplishments of the son, you are no longer, as it were, on the run from God, but you are a son and daughter in the family of God with a seat at his table and permanent access to him. You have his ear now and forever. Then when you receive that afresh, that frees you up and empowers you to be the kind of mentor, you could say, who gives a listening ear and a seat at the table. And who knows what profound difference that can make to somebody who feels like they're on the run. Fourth and final pair of shoes that God might be inviting you to step into this week is to be a person through whom God speaks. And this is where the final part of the passage got a little bit confusing. It did for me at least, so let's make sense of it together. So what happens is this. In verse 20, Saul sends a group of messengers to arrest David. Kind of born identity style, the state behind the scenes sends some bad guys to do its, do its dirty work for it. Except these messengers stumble across some kind of prophetic worship training academy thing in which Samuel is leading. And each group of messengers, instead of arresting David, ends up prophesying instead. Until Saul, so exasperated that he decides to go himself, also ends up prophesying, in his instance, naked on the floor. What is going on there? is the question I was asking myself this week. Well, God is actually doing quite a remarkable thing. Because these are people, the messengers and God, these are people who are not seeking after God, and yet the Holy Spirit comes on them in such a way that they end up speaking spontaneous words of praise to God. 
And in, in that dynamic, which is quite something, God is making a statement. Or if you like, he's making three types of statements. On the one hand, God is saying, I am not going to allow any harm to come for David. It's not going to happen. That's one thing he's doing within this interesting event. The second thing that is happening within this event that God is saying is he's actually speaking incredible words of grace to these men and to Saul in particular as Saul ends up speaking spontaneous words of praise. It's like God is saying, Saul, you're speaking beautiful words of praise to me right now. This is how your life could be if you were only to submit yourself to me, to humble and to be willing. Still being grace shown to Saul in these moments. And thirdly, uh, as, as the, something else is happening as Saul is prompted to strip off his clothes. Now, interestingly, as I was exploring this this week, the, 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 verse, the word for naked in the Hebrew doesn't really imply, commentators think, actually being literally physically naked. What it really gets at is Saul probably removed his royal robes and was left in his undergarments, very plain undergarments, as it were. And so what God is saying in that moment is sobering to Saul. He's saying, Saul, I have removed the kingship from you. That's how this is going to be. And in, in other words, or in general terms, that's kind of what prophecy does. It does those three things. It speaks words of warning, sometimes. And it speaks words of grace. In fact, it always speaks words of grace and encouragement. That's the nature of prophecy, whether it's warning or not. It's always full of grace and encouragement. And thirdly, prophecy can speak words of direction. It can look to the future. Prophecy is speaking the words of God to an individual or a community or a situation in order to bless them and glorify God. Something of what was coming through uh, when Victoria was singing for us earlier on. Something of the heart and the nature and the words of God to us. And it speaks grace and encouragement and even direction. And the New Testament teaches us that every Christian can experience this gift both as giver and as receiver. Indeed, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14.1, we're told to eagerly pursue the gift of prophecy. In fact, over and above other spiritual gifts. Now, prophecy is not equal to Scripture. Scripture is always God's word to us, whereas prophecy is weighed in accordance with Scripture. But Scripture encourages us, as it were, to step into the shoes and to be somebody through whom God can speak. Um, earlier this summer... Caroline and I were, were thinking of moving house, thinking of moving from the flat that we rented into the flat that we own, and we were faced with a, with a, a problem or two in that we had concerns about there being condensation and damp in the flat that we were going to move into, and we were unsure as to how to fix it and how much it would cost and whether it was kind of safe for the baby coming on the way and all that kind of stuff. That was very much on our mind, the issue of damp and condensation. And secondly, we also had concerns about what was happening in the flat, both through the current tenant and the previous tenant. The nature of the challenges they faced meant that we thought maybe some uh, unfortunate things might have been taking place. And so, with those kinds of concerns in mind, we were thinking and praying through what to do, whether to move into this uh, flat or not. And as we were doing that, uh, one day I received an email, which was from uh, a lady called Katie Thorne, as in Gordon and Katie Thorne, who many of you will remember very fondly, who were part of this church for a number of years. And it was kind of out of the blue. I hadn't uh, spoken to Gordon and Katie for quite some time. Um, and Katie's email had a voice memo in it. 
And in her voice memo, she said this. She said, hi, Philip. Um, I had a dream about you and Caroline last night. She said, in my dream, um, I don't know if this makes sense or not, but she said, in my, in my dream, I saw you and Caroline um, looking for a, a house, and you were going into a house, and in the house, there was a problem with damp. At this moment, you can imagine, I kind of sat fairly bolt upright in my, in my office. Um, and she went on to say that she also saw um, a, a rat, like a nasty rat, running around um, the property. So I thought, I need to speak to Katie about this. What, is, what are we being kind of told here? So I phoned her as quick as I could. She made it very clear she had no idea that we were thinking of moving house. She had no idea about the context at all. And we kind of talked about what we, what we thought God might be saying, trying to weigh it, as you always do with prophecy. And she kind of wondered whether uh, God was saying what she, that whether we should... Um, sorry, I'll, I'll move back a step. In the voice memo, not knowing our situation, she said, I wonder whether this is about... Are you looking to move house or not? I don't know if you are, but is God saying that? She said, I wonder whether there's an issue with damp in this property, and if there is, God's saying to be aware of it and to look into it and to deal with it. And thirdly, whether there are some unfortunate spiritual dimensions that might have got into the property that we're moving into. And so I phoned her, and we talked it through, and like I say, she explained she had no idea of the context of our situation at all. And and on reflection, we were just so encouraged by that, by that prophecy. The idea that God, the God of the universe, the God who is outside of time and space, who stepped into time and space, would care about our little flat and the problem of damp. But he does. That encouraged us so much. It gave, it gave us confidence to move forward. It reminded us that God really is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the nature and part of the gift of prophecy. Prophecy can do that and, and so much more. So are these the shoes that God might be inviting you to step into this week? To be available as a person through whom God can speak. Just as uh, Mike and Kate and uh, Vicky uh, were earlier on. And as many people are in different aspects of the life of the church. To be someone who, who through spending time with Jesus becomes accustomed to the voice of Jesus. If there is a secret, that's the one. You want to hear the voice of Jesus? It's real simple. Spend time with him in his words and get used to how he speaks. And of course, once again, look deep in the sketch. Whenever you see a prophet, look behind and that prophet is pointing to Jesus. Samuel, ultimately, as the prophet, points us to Jesus because Jesus is the true and perfect promise true and perfect prophet, the only one who spoke the very words of God every single time and spoke words of life to us. Jesus, who through his spirit wants to speak words of life, not just to you this morning, but also through you. In order that others who may be on the run in life, just like we were, are encouraged and affirmed and given confidence and grace to move forward. So, we're going to respond together now. Jamie, can you come and join us as a band? And we're going to respond in, in two ways. Firstly, in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to declare our, our praise to God, our, our trust afresh in him for whatever it is the week and the rest of the year holds. We're going to get to hear more of what God is saying as people, i.e. you, make yourselves available to be people through whom God will speak. And I also want us to respond in a, uh, in a, a second way. 
I want us to be able to respond as individuals and give a tangible response, something we often do at King's Church, because we've talked about stepping into shoes this week. So in a moment, if you feel that's what God is nudging you to do, I want you to just to stand, to literally step, if you like, as a way of putting a tangible, physical response on the, the thoughts that God is, is giving you. So in a moment, if you feel God is stirring you, just going to stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll move into the collective time of, of worship in a moment. So I wonder... Is God stirring you to be the friend who serves? Knowing, remember, that Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve, and he calls us not servants, but friends. Secondly, is he calling you to step into the shoes of the spouse who protects? The one who sacrifices, the one who puts the preferences of the other first, the one who brings safety and protection and kindness and serving into marriage, knowing that in Jesus Christ you can receive the only perfect spousal love there is. Thirdly, are you to be the person through whom, are you to be, to be a mentor who comforts? the person who listens and makes a space at their table? Are those the shoes that God is inviting you to step into this morning? Knowing that the gospel means we have a place at the table of God and we have his ear. When you know that, you can be the mentor that brings a listening ear and a place at your table. And fourthly, is God encouraging you to step into the shoes of somebody who is available to be a person through whom God can speak, who brings grace and encouragement, and maybe even direction to people's lives, knowing that in Jesus Christ, we have the only perfect prophet, the one who has promised to speak to us by his spirit. And fifthly, let me just add a fifth category who might stand in a moment. If you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, but you want to say, actually, I know enough now to be able to say, I, I believe in you, Jesus, and what you've done with your perfect life, your sacrificial death, and your victorious resurrection. I want to begin my journey of following you. You could stand in a moment as well. Or you might be in a different place and say, I'm not sure I, I do believe that yet. I don't know. But, but I do know that I want to keep taking steps in exploring who this God might be. If you're in any of those five categories, I'd love you to stand now so I can pray for you. Wonderful. If you're not standing, it's totally fine as well. You can be praying along with me perhaps as I pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your remarkable gospel. This gospel that speaks into every area of life, be it friendship or marriage or hearing from God or helping people who are in difficulty and strife. I thank you, Lord, for the remarkable examples in this church of friends who serve, of spouses who protect, of mentors who comfort, and of people through whom God can speak. I thank you for that, God. We thank you together so much, and we ask you for more. And so I pray this week that people would be remarkably blessed by friends who serve who put the other first. I pray that spouses would see something of Jesus as their own spouse protects and serves. I pray that we would raise more and more mentors in the life of this church, people who will say, I'll listen, and here's a place at my table. Come and know the hospitality of God. And I pray for more people through whom God speaks.
that as we open our hearts to you, that you would do what you love to do and what you've done this morning and bring something of your words of grace and encouragement and direction to us. And I pray for any who are not sure about you but want to keep exploring and taking steps towards you. God, bless them in that. Help them in that. And I pray for any who want to, as it were, cross a line this morning and say, I, I believe enough. I want to be a follower of Christ. God, we celebrate that if that's taking place in these moments.